0: Brothers and sisters, this afternoon we deal with Lord's Day 15 of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 15. And there we confess the the following from God's Word. What do you confess when you say that he suffered during all the time he lived on earth, but especially at the end? Christ bore in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race, Thus, by his suffering as the only atoning sacrifice, he has redeemed our body and soul from everlasting damnation and obtained for us the grace of God, righteousness, and eternal life. Why did he suffer under Pontius Pilate as judge? Though innocent, Christ was condemned by an earthly judge, and so he freed us from the severe judgment of God that was to fall on us. Does it have a special meaning that Christ was crucified and did not die in a different way? Yes, thereby I am assured that he took upon himself the curse which lay on me, for a crucified one was cursed by God. So far, Lord's Day 15 of the Catechism. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that includes you also, uh, boys and girls, over the past number of years, maybe decades, you've had all kinds of, of wrongful convictions in Canada being overturned of criminals. One of the most widely public, publicized cases of that was that of Stephen Truscott, who was sentenced to death in 1959 for killing a 14-year-old classmate near Clinton, Ontario. His sentence was later commuted to life imprisonment, but in 2007, his conviction was overturned, and the Court of Appeal declared that his case was a miscarriage of justice, a miscarriage of justice. And in 2008, maybe you remember from a couple of few years ago, Stephen Truscott was awarded $6.5 million in compensation by the Ontario government for all that he went through. Do you think that anybody has ever had the idea that the sentence that Jesus underwent at the hands of Pontius Pilate should be reviewed or appealed? That was a miscarriage of justice recorded by eyewitnesses. It was in the court records of Rome. Why did, you might wonder, why did Jesus' followers not protest his mistrial before Pontius Pilate to the authorities in those days? Maybe appeal to Caesar It was long ago, but you, you, you get people who appeal injustice that took place long ago too, even uh, generations ago. And, and those descendants uh, receive compensation yet. Should, should Christians maybe get out in the streets and protest against the injustice done to Jesus of Nazareth? at least demand a general acknowledgement that Jesus' trial and sentence and punishment were all wrong? Well, as far as I know, no Christian has ever appealed what happened to Jesus at the hands of the authorities in those days. And that's because Christians accept what happened there as necessary even. They even put it in a confession that means Christians base their faith on what happened under Pontius Pilate in the praetorium there. That mistrial is something we actually cherish, something we even celebrate with the Lord's Supper celebration this afternoon. So I preach to you what we confess from the Bible in Lord's Day 15 with this theme, Jesus Christ suffered for us. Three things. He suffered under God's wrath. He suffered under Pilate's condemnation. He suffered under the curse of the cross. First, he suffered under God's wrath. Suffering. We sang about it in Psalm 22. We often don't know what to do in the face of suffering. Pain, grief, loneliness, death all confuse us. They make us uncertain, afraid. We don't know what to say then sometimes. People wonder why. What's suffering good for? Can't be God's intention for people to suffer, can it? But this afternoon with Lord's Day 15, we confess Jesus' suffering. And he didn't just suffer for a while when he was here on earth. No, he suffered during all the time he lived on earth, we confess in Lord's Day 15. All 30 years or so were suffering. Maybe you wonder if that really was the case. He must have had... Happy times, too. Think of when he fed thousands of people with just a few loaves and fishes. Think of when he healed this man who had been unable to walk for 38 years in Bethesda. He raised people from the dead. Saw a mother, a widow, embrace her son after he was raised from the dead at Nahum. Wonderful times. Must have been some some happy moments there. And yet, if you think about it, even during those times, the Lord Jesus suffered. Because how did those people react to those, to, for instance, that miraculous meal which Jesus gave them on the hillside? Well, they followed him, not because they saw him as their savior, but they regarded him as a miracle worker who could give them free bread and fish, free meal. And after Jesus healed that lame man in Bethesda, what happened? The Pharisees turned against him even more than before. And after he raised, for instance, Lazarus from the dead, the leaders of the people reacted by discussing how they could put Jesus to death. Yes, congregation. Jesus knew all those things too. So you realize his his suffering began, well, it actually began right at his birth already. There was no room for him in the inn. Think of the murder of the children of Bethlehem by Herod because of the Lord Jesus, the baby Jesus. How do you think he must have reacted to that, when his mother Mary told him about it later on. There was no place for him here, the Son of God in the flesh. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of God had no place to lay his head in peace. He was unwanted here. Now there are more people who suffer throughout their lives their whole lives, maybe disabled from childhood, always struggling with psychological issues or dealing with an inferiority complex. But Jesus' suffering was still different. He came into this world to suffer, in fact. That was his job, his task description, suffer. And he himself said the same to his disciples many times. You know, it says, for instance, at Matthew 16, verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised the third day. He knew, he knew that from the scriptures, that that was his task, He found the program for his life in the Old Testament. He found it in Psalm 22, which we sang about suffering. And being mocked and being given over to death and lots being cast over his his clothes. He, He took that on himself. He realized, that is my task. And he accepted it. When Peter started swinging his sword and... At the servants of the high priest in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus told him, put that sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup my father has given me? Shall I not drink the cup my father has given me? Shall I not do the the task, the job, for which I, I was sent by the father? And you have to think that only a short time before he said that, To Peter he had beseeched the father to take that cup away from him that cup filled with God's wrath his just anger against sin you can imagine how terrible that cup was and how he had to fight to accept that especially toward the end because it would mean his death and what made that death so bitter was that his father would turn against him forsake him He didn't suffer pain and and agony and forsakenness at the hands of strangers, but he suffered all that at the hands of his father. The father who he always loved was going to strike him, beat him down, and he would descend into the fiery whirlpool of his father's wrath against our sin. Not his own sins, but my sins and your sins. The sins of the whole human race we confess in Lord's Day 15. Every sin committed by man deserves the full and just wrath of God. And that just wrath of God is terrible. It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God, it says in Hebrews 10. Well, that's what the Savior had to undergo for salvation. That was his task as Savior. And it's no wonder that he was terrified of that too, but congregation, he accepted it. He took that cup of God's just wrath against sin and drained it to the last drop because that was God's plan. That was God's agenda for his life here. So what was the reason for his suffering, especially his suffering? Because he was completely innocent but he was beaten and mocked and put to death. You know, we so easily complain if something um, happens to us and it's not fair. Somebody treats us without fairness. We get upset. Why me? Why not that evil person over there? They deserved it. We can't understand why God would, would let this happen to us, this injustice not being treated fairly. But is God really being unfair then? Because if we think that through, what if God treated us as we really deserved in ourselves? Where would we be then? At those times, shouldn't we rather ask God why He has so much patience with us Because to be honest, we upset him every day, don't we? We deserve his anger. Not the Lord Jesus, though. Whatever in the world had he done wrong? Not a single thing. He always loved his father perfectly. And yet he had to drain that cup of God's wrath fully, completely, For us, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, for you and me, that's what we had to do that for. For as we confess in Lord's Day 15, thus by his suffering as the only atoning sacrifice, he has redeemed our body and soul from everlasting damnation. Because of Jesus' suffering, because he took that all on himself, we never have to drink a drop from that cup of God's righteous wrath against our sins. Because of Christ's suffering, God's anger is spent against us, all those who are in Christ. And you realize then that it had to happen, that suffering of the Lord Jesus, if we were going to escape the just wrath of God against ourselves. His suffering in life is our salvation from death. That's what we confess in Lord's Day 15 and celebrate with the Lord's Supper here this afternoon. We'll come to the second point. Jesus suffered under Pilate's condemnation. Interesting if you think about it that Pilate's name is mentioned in the Apostles' Creed. Why his name, you wonder, of all names? Because there were a lot of other names that could have been mentioned in there. Like Judas or Caiaphas the high priest, who condemned Jesus for blasphemy in front of the Sanhedrin because he called himself the Son of God. They played major roles in Jesus' suffering, too. So, why Pilate's name in particular? In the confession. Was it because he gave Jesus over in the end to be put to death? No congregation? It wasn't that. It had to do with Pilate's official position as judge. God had a special purpose with ensuring that Jesus was condemned by a judge appointed by the government of that time. Jesus himself made that clear too. Pilate had been appointed judge in Palestine by the emperor himself in Rome. When Pilate said to Jesus that he had the power to crucify him or release him, don't you know that I have that that power? Then Jesus said to Pilate, we read it in John 19, you would have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. And the thing is there you have to see God himself behind that judge Pilate and his judgment. Jesus' whole trial before Pilate was under God's control. It wasn't so that God couldn't do anything about Jesus' mistrial before Pilate. No, God was using Pilate to execute his sentence against his son for our sins. That's how it worked. Three times we're told in the gospel, Pilate as judge declared that he had found no wrong in this man and Jesus, and we too hear in those statements about Jesus innocent, the voice of God himself. But then Pilate, afraid of the Jewish leaders, still condemns Jesus to death, officially. And when Pilate condemns Jesus, he officially does that on God's behalf too. It was all recorded in the Roman court records. Jesus of Nazareth found innocent. Jesus of Nazareth, condemned to death by crucifixion. And in all that, Pilate the judge was acting on behalf of God, as minister of God, as the Apostle Paul calls government officials in Romans 13. And why is that official condemnation by Pilate on behalf of God so important for us to know and to confess? It's important because in the future there's going to be another trial. For all of us, maybe today, maybe this week, maybe in so many years, maybe at the end of our lives, we're all going to end up before God's judgment seat at one time or another. Everyone will appear there as accused because we're all sinners in ourselves no one will be set free because he or she has been such a good person maybe you think you've been a pretty pretty good person in this life lived decently helped others never slandered somebody else always positive about other people good employee or good employer loving husband or wife or parent but if you, you start adding up all those things, then you, you come to the, you have to say, who could, who could say they've been all those things? No, the nicest person around is not going to be able to say they were always good in all those things. You'll never go free before that judgment seat of God if you rely on yourself, on your own goodness. You'll only go free if you Embrace Jesus Christ in faith if you seek your life in Him who was crucified under Pontius Pilate. Because at that judgment seat, God is going to ask you, do you love the Savior I sent to suffer for you? Did you seek your life outside of yourself and in Him alone? And if you can say yes to that, then he'll say, I don't have any grounds anymore to condemn you. Your sins have already been condemned in my son who was innocently condemned for you by Pontius Pilate. Enter the joy of your master. If you think about that, who, would, who among us would ever want to have Jesus mistrial before Pilate ever reviewed or or turned back, right? So many things went wrong there. Pilate made such a mess out of that trial. But that trial, we, we hold on to that because it's our salvation. And God the Father willed it to take place as it did for our salvation, Would we want that condemnation overturned? No way. Please, never. No way. We want to celebrate it with the Lord's Supper. Come to the the last point. Jesus suffered under the curse of the cross. Congregation, you maybe wonder, from what we read in John 18, verse 31, for instance, why it wasn't Lawful for the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council to put Jesus to death because they said to Pilate, we we have no, we have no ability, no right to put him to death because not long afterwards, they, they did put Stephen to death without the involvement of the Roman authority. Stephen was stoned to death by the men of the Sanhedrin themselves. And you know that the Sanhedrin had met often to see how they could put Jesus to death. So as such, the Sanhedrin had the authority to condemn Jesus, also to execute people by stoning. But the thing was, it was the Passover feast, a great feast day. And according to Jewish law, it was forbidden to condemn somebody and to execute them on that feast day. But the leaders of the Jews wanted the matter of Jesus dealt with and finished soon as possible. So what did they do? Well, they sent Jesus to Pontius Pilate, have him condemned by Pontius Pilate and executed by him. And then they put the pressure on, crucify him, crucify him. And all this happened, as it says in John 18, verse 32, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke signifying by what death he would die. He had already told his disciples so often before how he would, what would happen to him. He would be handed over to the Gentiles and he would be lifted up, crucified, And that meant he wasn't going to be put to death by the Jews. And he he already knew that before. He wasn't going to be put to death by stoning. They would have stoned him to death death, and he would have fallen to the ground and died. He would not be lifted up. No, he was going to be lifted up, he said. He would be put to death in the Roman way by crucifixion. Hanging on a tree. That's why he ended up. Before Pontius Pilate, that was God's will too. The thing is, you see the will of God the Father behind it all. His will to save us, in fact, we could say He had to be crucified. And Jesus understood that. He predicted that. And you see here how God wonderfully fulfills His plan of salvation, His Son. Not a thing was left to chance. Everything happened this way so that we reading this might be assured that he really died for us and fulfilled everything for us. Also, in the manner of his death, not a thing was left to chance. Jesus wasn't supposed to die by means of stabbing with a knife in a dark alley or by means of stoning even. No, it had to be the cross, lifted up, hung on a tree, because that had special meaning. God had said in the Old Testament, whoever hangs on a tree, and then even a wooden cross, is cursed by God. Such a person hangs there between heaven and earth, rejected by heaven, rejected by earth, given over to the curse of hell, the only other place there is in the universe. And that means, congregation, Jesus took that curse on himself on the cross. That tree, as Peter calls it. Our lives were going to be broken under the curse because of sin. But his life was broken in place of ours so that we might have the promise of blessings forevermore. Congregation, Jesus took our curse on himself so that we might be filled with his blessing. And that blessing doesn't just come after this life. It starts here already. The blessing of new life now already. A blessed life in which there is growing faith, hope, and love. And then also blessings forevermore. Uncountable blessings. Blessings, to live under the blessing of God so that whatever happens in your life is not going to be to your disadvantage, but God works it for your salvation. Blessings, thanks to God's plan. He wanted things to happen as they did in and outside Jerusalem 2,000 years ago and his son, Jesus Christ, accepted his will, and it was all for us. Would we then want a review of Jesus' trial and condemnation and crucifixion? No. We praise God that he made it all happen exactly the way he did, because it's for our assurance, and we're amazed that, Through all these people and their wrongs, God worked our complete salvation in Jesus Christ. He's our Savior. Let's confess and celebrate that with the Lord's Supper. Amen.